Welcome to our Mays Innovation Research Center talk show. So I am Karok Ray. I'm the of a professor at Texas A&M in the Mays Business School. I'm also the director of the Mays Innovation Research Center. I'm here today with Ray Rothrock, one of our most distinguished alumni of Texas A&M. Ray was kind enough to visit us from California here in College Station. And today we're going to talk about his life story, uh, his lessons that he's learned, really with an eye towards uh, educating and informing our students, our, future, our current and future students. Um, and we're going to talk a lot about innovation, technology, and about life choices, uh, because Ray has uh, a very, very unique uh, story to tell, uh, something I noticed when I first met him a few years ago. So uh, let me just uh, introduce you, Ray. Thank you for coming. Thank um, you. Ray is a, uh, if you don't know already, he's a, a very well-established venture capitalist uh, and philanthropist at this point, and he's also uh, has many talents. He played, how many instruments have you played or do you play? <laughs> <laughs> I barely play one now, but I've played a lot of woodwinds over the okay. time. Okay, yeah. great. So, so the way, I, what, what I thought we would do is, is, uh, is, this is something that I, if I was a student, I would love to know this, is I'm going to walk through Ray's life a little bit from what I gather, uh, and Ray is going to help me fill out the details <laughs> of how he made those big decisions and why he made them. And, and Ray, if you can put yourself back in time, we're going to do some time travel, back into when you, what you were thinking and feeling at the time you were making those decisions. Okay. So, so let's start with, uh, you grew up in uh, Fort Worth, Texas, uh, the son of a machinist and a teacher's aide. Right. Uh, tell us a little bit about what was life like growing up in Fort Worth. <laughs> well, Fort Worth in the 60s, in the 50s and 60s, this was, we were right out of central casting. Right? My dad uh, was, was a D-Day survivor, and he came back from the war and married my mom. And in those days, and if they were here, they would tell you, look, your, your mission was to come back, get married, and have a family. That's what they did. So I had an older brother, and we grew up literally. Uh, we had a little wood frame house I was born into, and then by the time I was like 13 or 14, we moved into a brick house. I mean, life was truly up to the right. We, we borrowed a car when I was a baby, and then when I was in high school, we had three cars. Uh, we put air conditioning in the house. We took a family vacation every year. That, that was life. It was everything, it was good. This was the 60s, right? Yeah. And it was a different world. Now, the 60s had the space program, it had Vietnam, it had civil rights, a lot of controversy going on in that time, yeah. too. But it was, everything was good. I mean, yeah. you know, you could ride your bike to your neighbor two, two blocks over and right. uh, drive your own car to high school and uh, stuff like that. It was yeah. fun. Yeah. It was a blast. And uh, you at attended Texas A&M. Yep. Uh, I, uh, I know that you, uh, when you're, I guess, uh, initially when you decided, you came to campus with yeah. your dad and then yeah. your dad, uh, the, the engineering yeah. dean, I think, convinced you that day to enroll and yeah. your dad went home alone without yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, that's, yeah, that's very, that's very good. I'm uh, sort of scared that that's out there. But no, my, uh, <laughs> I, I, was, uh, I was my high school valedictorian. Uh -huh. And uh, I'd been accepted everywhere I applied, which was TCU, Baylor, and Texas A&M. Yeah. And uh, TCU was physics, Baylor was music, because I was also a musician in those days, uh -huh. and uh, Texas A&M was engineering. Right. And I had gotten a nice award at the Fort Worth Science Fair my senior year, and, and with that came a letter from the CEO of Texas Utilities, which uh -huh. was Maggie at the time, I didn't know that. But anyway, so uh, we, <laughs> I was working at a, uh, a a factory where we made asphalt shingles where my dad spent his entire adult yeah. life. Yeah. So I'm working in 130 degree heat on an assembly line doing hard labor. 
Yeah. And my dad comes in one day, he says, so I think we should go on a road trip. And so he picks me up, literally. We go home, pack the car, he and I, we drive over to TCU, which is the other side of Fort Worth, spend the morning, we drive down to Baylor, spend the evening, spent the night, and then we came on to College Station. And we got over to the end, said, well, what do we do with this letter? Yeah. Right, so we went to the dean's office in Zachary. I don't remember who the dean was back then. Well, anyway, we sat down with this fellow, and he's you know, looking over his glasses and stuff <laughs> like that. He reads the letter, and he makes a call and kind of hides. Anyway, long as he said, Mr. Rothrock, talking to my dad, I think your, your son should start school immediately. Summer school starts tomorrow. I just enrolled you. So, you know, go to this registrar's yeah. office with this. And, and so we said, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> so um, this is summer. It's hot here. There's no air conditioning. Right. Forget oh, it. Oh, really? Oh, no, this is 1973. <laughs> There's no air conditioning in College Station. So anyway, uh, yeah, so we went and called Mom, which was a difficult conversation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was the last. My brother had long <laughs> flew in the coop. And yeah. uh, Dad went home, and we got a little apartment, and I started summer school. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow, and then, the uh, then I rode the bus home. The only time I took a bus from College Station to Fort Worth was my first weekend home. Right. It was like a six-hour bus ride. Right. You know, milk run, every little town. Right, right. I right. learned Central Texas very well. <laughs> anyway, that's how I got here. Yeah. So uh, you were a musician. Um, yep. And uh, at the time, I think there really was just one band, the, 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 core, the core cadets band. Right, yes. And, and that, was not, that did not sit well with you, that there was only one. <laughs> yeah. Tell and us it, what you did about that. Well, you know, uh, my sophomore year, uh, you know, you meet people and stuff. And I remember it was in a calculus class. So whatever it was, there were a bunch of civilians in there who were also musicians. And we got to talking about it. And one thing led to another. And we said, we need to start a band. Yeah. You need to start something for the civilian instrumentalist people. There was the uh, chorus. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so we went to uh, Professor Coldus at the time. Uh -huh. uh, he was in charge of student affairs and he said, well, this is, you know, we can do this, but you need a petition. You need to find enough people to have a band. So right. we got ourselves organized, right. went out and got a petition, found people, and we brought it back. And Coldus says, well, this is good. We'll, hmm. we'll do that. And so uh, he called over to uh, I think his name was Haney, Major Haney, who was in charge of the Aggie Band at that time. Yeah. And Haney probably, Haney did not like the idea of civilians in his band hall. Right. But the, the, uh, uh, another member, staff member of the band said, well, that sounds good. So Coldus, we all got hooked up. Uh, we all found instruments. I called my band director from high school and he uh -huh. sent me an oboe. <laughs> down that I could practice and get into the band. Anyway, so we started the Texas A&M Symphonic Orchestra. Wow. That would have been 1974 or 5. Wow. And, and, and it's still here. It's yeah. Still here. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. understand now it's got all kinds of branches of oh, different yeah. kinds of genre and stuff. Yeah, and it's got, the whole building is, is beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's amazing yeah. what they've done. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. That, was, that was fun. Now, tell, tell us, uh, I get in qualitative terms, about your education at A&M. What did you... Uh, what did you, how did you like it? Tell us the academic side first. Well, I was really good in math and science, yeah. as you can imagine, chemistry and what have you. Uh, and I, uh, A&M was really good. Um, yeah. I, uh, I, I don't know how many stories you want, but yeah. I, I just remember so well, um, in summer school, I was taking analytic geometry, uh -huh. and the first quiz shows up and they're mimeographed. Right. Mim not, not zero, mimeographed, wow. and it's in your name, and then said RTFP. 
And I didn't know what that meant, yeah. RTFP. What does that mean? Uh -huh. This is analytic geometry. Uh -huh. So stupidly, I go up to the professor. He was a full professor, yeah. not one of these young, yeah, yeah. young guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, excuse me, I don't remember his name now. What does this mean? He says, read the problem. <laughs> right, and, right, so, right. And I went, wow, this is my introduction to uh, <laughs> Texas A&M. Yeah, right. So uh, the academics were very good. Uh, many of the professors in the nuclear engineering department had worked on at Oak Ridge uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, or the nuclear navy. Professor Wick uh, had actually worked with Rick Hover to build the shipping port reactor back in the day. Yeah. Uh, so we had people who didn't quite write the textbooks. Yeah, they were yeah. elsewhere like MIT and places, but these were the people who actually built the first reactors. Okay. So it was very good. Okay. And A&M had two nuclear reactors, the one at, uh, out at the airport and they had one in the ba basement of Zachary. So yeah. uh, we had hands-on experience. Yeah, yeah. Just tremendous. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, uh, nuclear has a lot of math. And so you were always behind yeah. unless you could somehow jump ahead in math. So I stayed back one summer and jumped ahead in math. So I would be taking math that I could use in the nuclear courses. And right. it really, right. really made life easy. Because right. I was learning new math concepts when I was learning nuclear physics. Yeah, yeah. And it was better to have one or the other in place. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Uh, it was great. Um, then along came uh, this guy named Wayne Stark, who was the head of the MSC. Uh -huh. In those days, the MSC was a very much smaller organization, right. but every student club on campus, there was the core, and there was MSC. Yeah. And his, he thought his job was to identify student leaders. And he came into one of my physics classes one day, knocked on the door, came into the professor, knew who they were, they talked for a minute, and then he asked me to step out in the hall. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, what is this all? Do my parents die or something? I mean, <laughs> what is going on here? Anyway, so he drafted me into the MSC. And I joined uh, the radio club, because I was a ham radio operator, yeah. and got involved, got moved up to the directorate and all this sort of stuff. But Wayne convinced me to take more than the normal load, engineering load. So mm -hmm. I took English Lit, psychology, sociology, mm -hmm. I don't know, all kinds of non-technical courses. Right. He said, because those courses, he said, would round me out and I'll use that information later in life when I will long have forgotten how to integrate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he was absolutely right. Mm. And uh, when I was graduating, I was going to go either to Harvard Business School or to MIT yeah. for engineering. Right. And I chose MIT. Right. And he, you know, he said, Got oh, a full you'll be scholarship. Yeah, yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, no, the NRC was paying for the whole full yeah. ride. That's great. And, uh, you know, Stark said, well, you'll probably come back someday anyway. Yeah. So, and I did. Yeah. So I called Mr. Stark up. So I'm nine years out of undergrad. And I said, uh, I said, Wayne, I said, I'm going to go to Harvard Business School. He says, no way. You're too old. They won't take you. I said, yeah. I said, Wayne, if you write the letter, they'll take me. Right. And they did. Right. So Wayne, Wayne is really key. I mean, there was a men he was a mentor, right? Uh -huh, uh -huh. We had these, these nuclear giants in the department. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wayne was, you know, went out and brought in the leadership and fish camp was invented in those days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember going to whatever it was called back then. Anyway, none of that would have happened had someone at A&M wasn't paying attention to the student, student mm -hmm. life and student mm -hmm. leaders. Mm -hmm. So a lot of guys got it in the core because in those days it was all guys. Right. But a lot of the rest of us got it over at the MSC. I see. That was kind of the two leadership uh, uh -huh. veins. Oh, that's very if interesting. You, yeah. So you graduated, you went to MIT, you moved to yep. Boston, yep. Um, yep. Uh, and, and then you worked as an engineer. Yeah, for nuclear engineer. Years, right? Yankee Atomic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But at some point you decided to move to California. And yeah. I, I'm curious about that moment. Well, how did you make that decision and well, what made you do that? I don't know how well you know your history, but Three Mile Island had an accident in right. 1979. Right. So I am not even a year in. Yeah. 
and I'm like looking at this and it was an emotional event for me. I watched the management at Yankee and the things they said and whatever, but it's sort of like, hmm, I don't know about this. So I actually left Yankee and took a job at Exxon and worked in their fuel cycle, uranium fuel cycle business. I was the token nuclear engineer. Everyone else was pumping fluids in the ground. I was the guy yeah. that made sure it didn't go critical right. and have a nuclear reaction. Anyway, uh, then Exxon decided to get out of the business. Uh, so the, the VP flew down from New York and he called us all in the room, 300 engineers or so, and said, uh, I have some good news, I have some bad news. Yeah. The bad news is this division is closed. The good news is there's a package for you at the, and then walk these people with boxes and an envelope <laughs> with our name on it. Right. I kid you not. Wow. It's like, in mine, I opened, uh. I opened it up and it was like, we're going to relocate you to um, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and you're going to be the caretaker of all our uranium assets, which uh -huh. were throughout the Southwest. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And I could not see myself as a caretaker. Right, right. Along about this time, Grope, and I'm sorry for all the detail, yeah, but no, it's, it's funny. Uh, uh, Apple had yeah. happened, yeah. and it, that was starting to percolate, and I met someone with an Apple computer. Yeah. And so I said, this is for me. And I, I, my PC in those yeah. days was a mainframe. Yeah. Even at Exxon, I had a mainframe. Yeah. But there was this little thing called an Apple. So I literally, in January of 1981, left Houston, where I had been working with Exxon, and packed up the car. What I couldn't get in the car, I left it on the curb, and I drove to California, to San Jose. Wow. And Did you go for a job, or you no. just drove to California? I drove to California <laughs> uh, using the Aggie network. Okay. I okay. networked heavily the Aggies, and I got a job at a little software company uh -huh. uh, writing software uh -huh. on an Apple computer. Wow. And I was writing uh, mechanical engineering CAD software. Yeah, yeah. This was before AutoCAD. This is like, these were like green screens, right? right. We're drawing lines, and I mean, this was. A, right. But I had to teach myself all about memory and computer architecture. Yeah. Because we were pushing these computers to do things they weren't designed for. Yeah. yeah. So, but Apple goes public in 1980, and yeah. it's now a huge success story. So, this whole PC revolution is starting to happen. Right. That company dies. Were, were you yep. concerned at all about leaving nuclear engineering to go into? I was still in nuclear engineering. Okay, I okay. was writing software for nuclear engineering. Oh, I see. Use. Okay, okay. I'm still it. in the business. You're still in the business, but right. you're doing you're working on the software. Yeah, side, on, on right. the other side of the it. The other side, right? And then that company died, and that was tragic. But anyway, I learned a big lesson that you gotta you gotta make something people want to buy. Right. That was a big lesson. Right. And, and I went and spent six months at Grand Gulf Nuclear uh -huh. on the construction side. Uh huh. Uh -huh. I was a a. a Professional engineer, I had my stamp, I could go and I had the night shift. Anyway, we built Grand Gulf for six months. Long, interesting stories there. But anyway, and then I went back to California yeah. and, and uh, tried to get a job at a company called Impel, which I did. But then Impel got bought by a public, and it was, Impel was a nuclear services company. So yeah. 10,000 engineers. And they put me in a division, and I knew a bunch of people. Yeah. So they put me in this division. They were going to write their own CAD CAM software yeah. for... Yeah. Guess what? A thing called a Sun workstation. Right. So, so this is perfect. I spent a bunch of time writing software. They thought I could do it again. So I'm doing the same thing again with a bigger company. It's it gets bought mm. by a big public company. Mm -hmm. They take our little division, shut it down. So I am now literally out of job again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I went to the newspaper and started answering ads. I rewrote mm -hmm. my resume to make mm -hmm. myself look as much like a software engineer as I could. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I took an interview uh, at a hotel for what turned out to be a job at Sun Microsystems. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Little Silicon Valley, every great 
computer company has an evangelism group. Apple right. had Guy Kawasaki, right, who's right. very famous. Yep. Sun started a thing called Catalyst, and I was the second person they hired as a catalyst. Uh -huh. And I was given all the engineering software. Uh -huh. So my job was to go out in the world to big software companies and convince them to put their software on a Sun workstation. Yeah. Because I could write software, I could sell software, I could use software. Right, right. So I became quite good at that. Yeah. And it was a sales job, but I wasn't taking money. I was really trying to persuade someone that this computer was where you wanted to put your software. Right, right. So the Sun sales guys could take it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I, should, I, I skipped over a point, a really significant point that I, I should say. So here, when, when the first company failed, yeah. it failed quite, quite dramatically. Yeah. I came to work one day, and the place was empty. They had hauled all the furniture out, all my books, my computer was gone, yeah. stuff, my personal stuff was gone. Yeah. The place yeah. was empty. Yeah. The founders had run out of money, and they left town. Wow. So, and I didn't have any money. And I was a proud guy. I had a couple of degrees. I said, how could this be happening to me? Yeah, yeah. I went down and applied for unemployment in San wow. Jose. I stood in a big, long line. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Now, that's a humbling experience. Yeah, have bet. you ever done that? No, I have not. It's, it's worse than going to the DMV. Really? Yeah. Well, it, it just yeah, is. Yeah. And, it, and anyway, so I bet. Um, it was quite, and I was, you know, determined, okay, this isn't going to happen to me again. Right. I'm, so anyway, right. so I got on with Sun Microsystems right. and was really good at what I did. And um, Where you met your wife? That's where I met my wife, right. yes. She was in the Boston sales office, and I was in Mountain View and headquarters. Right. Anyway, and then one day, my, my boss, Carol Bartz, who has her own famous Silicon Valley story, came down and said, Ray, we'd really, you know, we like you. You're doing great. We'd like to promote you, but maybe you should go to business school. Yeah. So yeah. I said, ah, Harvard took me once. They'll take me again. And my wife, she was all for it, or my soon-to-be wife. She was, was already in Boston. Right? Yeah, she was yeah. in Boston. So yeah. I applied to Harvard. Yeah, yeah. Got in thanks to Star. So at this and, yeah. point in your career, were you still thinking of yourself on more to stay on the technical side, or did you think you were going to transition to business? No, at Sun, I became a marketing and salesperson. Okay. With deep technical roots, I could talk turkey. But a, a computer workstation is a very complicated beast. Right, right. And my job was often to go out uh, to big companies like General Motors and stuff, and and gather what do they need this computer to do. Right, right. And then I would come back, write the specs, work with the engineers, and mm -hmm. basically define what the next computer generation was going to be. Mm -hmm. The Sun 3, which was the third generation, was one that I worked on quite extensively. Right. So I became a product manager, if right. you will. I learned right. all about product management right. and engineering right. schedules and all that. Right. Right. I had no authority, so I was all about being persuasive. Right, I see. Being a good salesman. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I think, essential. In yeah. life, yeah, yeah. whether yeah. you're an engineer at a power plant or you're trying right. to convince other people to use your hardware, right. Uh, right? You have to be a good salesman, yeah. And I became very good at it. Then you went to business school, yep, for two years, yep. Um, and uh, at that point, you you were thinking about venture capital. You had met some venture capitalists. Yes, in, yeah. In uh, my roommate um, when I was at Sun Microsystems was a fellow named Steve Krause. Steve oh. became a dear friend. He graduated from Stanford uh -huh. uh, while I was living with him, and he went to a venture capital firm called U.S. Venture Partners. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And it's, in those days, I was his date to all the venture capital things going uh -huh. on. And so I met people like Bob Sackman, John Doerr. Uh -huh. I met amazing venture capitalists. Right, right. And it got, got pretty interesting. Sure. And uh, Steve was very instrumental in saying, maybe you should think about this. So when I went to business school, my mission was to get into VC. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I, that's, I wanted to graduate and join a firm. Uh -huh. Unfortunately, in 
October of 87, there was a stock market crash, right. the worst ever. Right. And the VCs all dried up. Right. Except for one. Venrock. Venrock. Right. And, and uh, g that was in New York City, right? New York City. And uh, the, it was with the, it was Rock managing the Rockefeller yeah, Foundation Yeah, Ven Venrock it was started in 1969. It was yeah. exclusively Rockefeller wealth. Uh -huh. So the, the brothers, in those days it was David and Lawrence and their children. So it's kind of a, the family office. Family, family, it was a family office. It was office. a family office. It was yeah. one of the original family offices in the United States. I see, okay. In, the, in Rockefeller Center there was the... Uh, uh, Bessemer family office, uh -huh, there was uh -huh. a Whitney family office, uh -huh, there was a Rockefeller family We all were in this together. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, and so I joined it and did a lot of things in the family office, not just venture capital, but my mission was venture capital. And Because they wanted to get out of just public equities into venture, right? Private. Well, they, private. yeah, they, they had a small fund. We, we invested about 20, 30 million a year mm -hmm. uh, on, into private companies, technology. Lawrence Rockefeller, who was the real founder of the firm in 1939, he liked technology. He was an environmentalist, right. and he thought that was if if you had successful tech investments, you could then take those securities and donate them and buy land and preserve it and all this sort of stuff. Okay. Uh, Lawrence has written many books. You can go online. He was actually one okay. of the original green folks in this country. I see. I, see. I mean, quite quite adamant about it. Uh huh. Uh huh. So. And when did you make the move back to California? Well, uh, that would have been in 1997. Okay. So I'd been at Venrock now almost 10 years. Okay. 10 but years out of New York, is that right? Yeah. Doing everything yeah. out of New York. I joined there in 88. We moved right. to the village in 88 yeah. and uh, had our son. Then we moved to Connecticut. Uh, mm -hmm. But life was going very well. The Internet came along in 1992. Sure. Sun Microsystems was a note on the old ARPANET. So I knew what this network thing was all about. Right. I mean, I could do email. In fact, it's so funny. People think that my wife and I met like some sort of dating app. <laughs> because we were on the internet, but no, 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 no. But we did have chat. We did have video. Yeah. yeah all yeah. on all on the ARPANET. This right. is 1985, 1986. Right, right. People think this is new stuff. Unix had this forever. Yeah. Right. Anyway. Right. So yeah. Uh, uh, so I had had four IPOs and life was pretty good. I was running the internet strategy. And all the action was happening in California. So yeah, was I'd, that awkward? You ten years in New York while all the actions in California. Was, did, did that, was that weird or was, was that fun? It was hard. It was hard. I was, you know, I'd go to the partners meeting on Monday and I was on oh, TWA yeah. flight 44, seat 2A oh, wow. on my way west wow. every Monday night. And sometimes I'd return on Thursday, sometimes on Friday. Oh, wow. okay. And okay. we had one partner in California and he was desperate for help, yeah. Tony Sun. And uh, eventually I had enough clout, I guess, I went in and announced that we wanted to move to California. Right. right. And we did. And then you built up that office. Yes, we did. Rock yes. We well, moved headquarters and everything. That was 97, right? So yeah. that's right before Google, right? I think Google was 98, 99. Yeah. Around. So that's right. just to triangulate. Yeah. What was VC like? Uh, was there a Sand Hill Road then? It was... Just started. Just Tom started. Ford had just built the whole golf course and all that okay, there. Okay. Um, on... Um, yeah, on Sand Hill Road. Okay. Uh, but we had an office down in uh, Wilson. We had a we sublet from Wilson Sonsini. Right, right, right. On Page Mill, right? Yeah, Page, that's exactly that. right. Yeah, Page Mill El Camino. Yeah. yeah. Page Mill El Camino. Uh, VC was still pretty small when I joined in '88. The business was one billion, and yeah. there were about 50 firms that did things. Yeah, yeah. And so it was very collegiate. When nobody did a deal alone, uh -huh. nobody. Uh -huh. I think there was a big transition about '97, '98. One day. We were getting ready to do a deal, and we called up Excel, and I'll never forget. It was a ten million. We wanted to split a ten million dollar investment, yeah, because uh, that was a lot of money for Venrock was ten. Yeah, yeah. We called up, and they said, "No thanks. We're going to do the whole deal ourselves." And it was the first time people that we had been doing business with 
we got elbowed, sharp elbows. Right, and right. suddenly, VCs had a lot of money, yeah. and they were doing deals on their own, and the, the dynamics of the industry had changed. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Venrock was still Venrock, still 100% Rockefeller family. Uh-huh. Um, funny story, so me being the quant jock, we decided that we needed a bunch of money, and I was supposed to model our next 10 years of VC yeah, for yeah, Venrock. Yeah. We would run out of money. So uh, we prepared a presentation for the family, and the CEO, Mr. Chris, gave the pitch. I'll never forget. So David Rockefeller and Lawrence Rockefeller were sitting on the front row, and they were all the stuff. And so Peter said, we need, we need like $300 million a year, yeah. $500 million yeah. a year. Because that's what other VCs were doing. Right. And we're still doing fifty million a year. Right. Well, so, they—you didn't have any LPs of this. No, point, right? it was just still, them. Still these guys, yeah, these two guys, yeah. their family, the the family trust. Right. And I'll never forget, Mr. Rockefeller said, "You know, we're good. We're good for a hundred, Peter. We're good for a hundred. Mm-hmm. And uh, Peter said, "No, you don't understand." And David said, "I do understand. We're good for a hundred. And Peter said, "Well, then we need other LPs." Mm-hmm. And they said, "Okay." And we raised Venrock. In those days, we called it Venrock Two. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh huh. We went out and got the usual suspect hospitals and university foundations, yeah. all our alma maters. Right, right, right. And um, we raised Venrock too and, and slowly morphed from an evergreen fund to a 10-year wow. sequenced fund. Wow, wow. And I was, I was the math head in that, so. I mean, back then, was, did you, was Venrock, once you had built up the LP base, yeah. you guys were on par with all the other VCs. Yes, in, in terms in the, of scale. In terms of scale, right? Yeah. yeah. But VC as an industry was still very new, right? Yeah, was, it was. I mean, was the, the yeah, well, look, it topped out at $103 billion in 1999. Right. It was $1 billion in 88. Wow. Invested capital, wow. $103 in 99. That's only 11 years. 90, like topped out even since then? Since, since in the 20 no, years since then? Uh, it, it went down it quite It came back sig- up recently, right? Yeah, it yeah. was $130 billion last year. Okay, right, right. But it took a while to get back. It took a while to get back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it went down as low as like, uh, uh, I don't know, I forget, $800 million yeah. or something in, in yeah. uh, whatever crash it was. Yeah. Tell us about Yahoo. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, you, you, you got to stand behind your convictions. So... We have a little saying in venture capital, if you hear about something three times from credible sources, go investigate. Yeah. So Tony's son on the West Coast, and I'm on the East Coast, and I've done Spyglass and Checkpoint and some other, uh, Lycos and some other things. We heard about this thing called Yahoo. And so Tony uh, knew Jeff Yang, not Jeff Yang, what's his first name? Yang. Andy? No. 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 Anyway, Yang. Yeah. And they were grad students to Stanford because Tony sort of did the Stanford scene. Yeah. And so he invites me out. So we go see them, and it's like, we've got this deal. We've got to have this deal. If you've got the Internet, you've got to have a Yellow Pages. Yeah. Right? And that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. It's like, so, so we, got, we did all our preparation. We did all the back-channeling and all this sort of stuff, and we got it to New York, and we introduced the deal. And, I'll, you know, it's an embarrassing moment. But we introduced the deal, and usually what happens is you introduce it. The partnership says, okay, let's bring them in. And you bring them in, and you do the deal. And so Tony's, Tony's on the phone, I'm in person, and there's kind of quiet in the room. And one of the partners, I will not say on video, <laughs> said, you know, I don't think we're going to do this deal. And Tony's like, I'm sorry, what did, I, what did you say? And I'm like, my, my eyes are getting big. It's like, yeah. I mean, my credibility's high, Tony's is high. It's like, right. what do you mean you're not going to do this deal? Right. Anybody that names their company Yahoo, they're not serious. <laughs> And we missed it. Wow. And wow. Uh, Ron Johnson from, uh, is it Johnson? Uh, from uh, SoftBank did it. Yeah. And he yeah. became a good friend because sure. he knew we missed it. Sure, sure, sure. sure. <laughs> yeah, you've got to have the force of conviction. Yeah, 
Yeah. Got to have the force of conviction. But you had that. some great wins during that time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Spyglass, which was a little company based in Champaign, Illinois, went from basically nothing to $30 million mm -hmm. in about 15, 18 months. Mm -hmm. uh, went public mm -hmm. at a hundred whopping $150 million valuation. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was my first IPO, and then it screamed up to over a billion. And believe me, in 1996, 97, a billion dollars was oh, a lot sure, of money. Sure, sure. And we sold it to Open TV. Yeah. Uh, Checkpoint uh, invested. Uh, this was a company that did a million in revenue and had a half a million of profits mm -hmm. in Tel Aviv. Mm -hmm. it, firewall, there were about a dozen firewall companies. One of our strategies that I deployed quite successfully in the Internet was if you understand a category, find, find the best companies in it, interview them all, mm -hmm. pick the one you want, and then just work it hard. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I picked Checkpoint. Mm -hmm. And I remember I came back to the partnership. I said, good news, bad news. Good news is there's a company already profitable, probably needs capital. Yeah. What's the bad news? It's in Tel Aviv. Oh, right. And right. so right. two of us got on planes. Uh, First time I set foot in Tel Aviv, yeah. and it was the summertime. It was kind of warm. Yeah. But we got that deal. That was a hard-fought deal. I beat off Sequoia. I beat off Excel, wow. who also were after those. Wow. In fact, I ran into Don Valentine in the San Francisco airport. Uh -huh. uh, wow. We were both going to Tel Aviv. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, that, you know, and then we did DoubleClick. That was another big one wow. I did. Yep. That yep. was a huge, it was an Internet advertising pioneer. Right, right. Uh, that, was, that was a hard deal to get to. Greylock, and we did it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, who else? Um, uh, did a few things like Fog Dog, which was a, an early sports yeah. equipment yeah. Uh, e-tailer. Yeah. Tony Sun was starting to do a bunch of deals, mostly in the telecom area and the infrastructure right, places. Right. But, you know, life, life uh, then in 2000, uh, market crashes, right? Mm -hmm, Remember this? Mm -hmm. A dot-com bomb yep. happened. Yep. Um, I had now been successful enough. The firm decided to... Uh, make me a managing partner. I'll never forget when Ted came to visit me in California. He said, I have some good news and bad news. I said, what's the good news? He says, you're going to be a managing partner. And I knew what that meant financially. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I said, what could possibly be the bad news? Yeah. He reaches into his briefcase and pulls out a pile of deals. There's about 15 deals that needed yeah. to be cleaned up. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really actually that I tell that story because venture capital, it's not all up and to the right. Sure, There's sure. a lot of stuff you got to deal with. So sure. I had about 15 deals. I uh, got 60 cents on the dollar and only had three bankruptcies, and I did not get sued huh. in the course of liquidating huh. 15 projects. Huh. But that's all I did for three years Right. was liquidate this, these, these, I see. these dead after deals. After the crash. After the, after the crash, yeah. These okay. were deals that the crash just crushed. And you, uh, how long did you stay at Venroth? 25 years. Oh, wow. Okay. 53 deals. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Eight IPOs. Wow. That's great. Yeah. 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 Then you did something unusual is you went to operate a company. Yeah. Right? That's pretty unusual. Very unusual. Right? Yeah. So most VCs don't do that. Yeah. Right? They <laughs> ride off into the sunset or. Yeah, or they are whatever. Yeah. Yeah. My wife. Well, why uh, did you do that? Well, uh, it was a Venrock company. It was one of my companies. Uh huh. And it, it uh, was struggling. Uh huh. And there was no reason for it to struggle. Anyway, it got in trouble. And this is after I'd been out of Venrock about almost a year, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And um, so uh, the board called me up and said, Ray, this is your deal. Something's wrong. Figure it out. Either yeah. tell us to either save it or shut it down. So I went in, spent a week, and I decided it was worth This is the one that did uh, this company's technology was very hard technology. This is about finding lateral movement in a network, a yeah. very key, important thing in cybersecurity. It, we had pristine clients, yeah. but it was hemorrhaging. It lost its way. So I went to the board and I said, I need a million dollars to make payroll. I'm going to lay half the company off and I'll be the CEO. Yeah. And yeah. they said, okay. Huh. 
And yeah. what, what was to have been a two-year project, I told my wife, turned out to be a six-year project. Right. And sometimes that's what it takes. But I recovered it from about $15 million in revenue to $50 million in revenue. I sold the company last year. So in, in, in uh, kind of very briefly, if you look at your time at Red Seal as CEO versus your time as a VC, which did you prefer? Which suits you better? Oh, I think the VC suits me better. Yeah. Um, I think being a CEO, it's, you know, you'd be a master of everything. Yeah. Uh, I was, you know, as a VC, I was really good at picking talent, picking CEOs to back, people mm -hmm. to back. Mm -hmm. And so when I came to Red Seal, I reached out hard to my network. And I hired only people who I knew had headroom, meaning yeah. that if the company was small and we were going to grow it, they would expand. I wouldn't be in a revolving door of changing out my management. I did right. not want to do that. Right, right, right. So I reached hard. I had to be, be a very good salesman. I brought in people. I didn't deserve them. Mm. They deserve to be senior vice presidents of public companies, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, marketing, engineering, whatever, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. sales. Uh, but they came and worked for me because I persuaded them that it was an opportunity, a good opportunity, and it would be fun and they would you know, have a good economic outcome, which was my point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I, my f first day on the job after I laid half the company off, I gave a speech at the company and one little engineer in the back of the room said, now, Mr. Rothrock, we Googled you. We, we know where you live. Mm -hmm. We've seen, you know, the Google Earth of your nice house in Portola Valley. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they said, why are you here? Why are you doing this? Mm. I said, three reasons. One, what we've created at this company is now, time is now. Yeah. This, the, the, the threat in cyber and what we do is a perfect match. That. Second of all, I said, I've cut a deal with the board. They gave us a third of the company. Mm -hmm. So they took this massive dilution to give us a shot. Mm. I said, we're all going to get new options, and we're all going to be, we're all going to make a lot of money when this thing is successful, yeah. myself included. Yeah. So there's a huge economic incentive, and we already built the product, so right. I didn't have to do that. Right. And I said, and third, I said, you know, uh, we're in a cyber war. Uh, and I elaborate on that a little bit. And I said, you know, I, I grew up in Fort Worth, blah, 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 blah. My dad was at D-Day, and, I, I, you know, this is my, this is my give back. Right. To society, you know, he gave back his role to society, and yeah. I grew up in a uh, a world where people gave back to society, yeah, yeah. whether it's the scouts or a church or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So this is my chance. Yeah, I don't need this job, right. but I want this job because we're going to help society be safer and better. I gave yeah. this, and boy, everyone stood up and applauded. Uh huh. Uh -huh. So that's, yeah, that was yeah, fun. That's great. You know, the the the, the maybe that was the Aggie Aggie value of service. Totally. Yeah, totally. Back, yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. The um, the. Doing the CEO thing, it's very personally rewarding. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you're working shoulder to shoulder with smart people right. on a mission. Right. It's, that's just huge. Right, right. Uh, in venture capital, you work through people. Right. So it's a little different. Yeah. But you get to see every week. I mean, I saw 10,000 deals in 25 years. Oh, yeah. I met so many interesting people. Yeah. I saw so many different markets and opportunities. Yeah. It's what really, it, you know, I, I think one of the things that made me successful was pattern recognition. Yeah. Right. I just saw patterns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I could see it in the presentations and stuff. Uh -huh. And so that, I enjoy that. It's learning. You yeah. Know? You got to yeah. be curious and you got to learn in VC. You yeah, can't just yeah. be stagnant. Right. Whereas you go into Red Seal for six years, I hunkered down hard. I got the book. Right. It was one of the things that resulted from doing that. Right, right. right. I'm not sure I would have written that book had I stayed at yeah. uh, Venron. Yeah. But, um, it, they all they all have their pluses and minuses. So let me let me now bring the conversation back to to A and M Texas A and M. You so bet. you were uh, at some level a pioneer among the Aggies. There there weren't a, we don't have a lot. We have some, but not given how 
how big our campus is. We don't have that many students going into the technology sector. Was, was that um, awkward for you? Was it strange? Did you feel like your friends from college were, uh, did you identify with them or did you lose touch with them? What was, tell us about that. I decision. didn't lose touch. Uh, certainly they were pursuing their engineering careers, yeah. whether it was in the oil patch. Yeah. Only a few went into nuclear. We had a small class, 53 guys, 54 mm -hmm. guys. Mm -hmm. um, no women, sadly. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, no, you know, it's funny. My, uh, when I was at MIT, uh, there were a lot of Navy nukes that came out of Annapolis. Right. They were there when I right. was there. And we just all got to know each other. And one guy said to me one day, Tim Jenks, still a dear friend, lives around the corner from me in Menlo Park. Mm -hmm. He said, Ray, he says, you really like technology, don't you? He mm -hmm. says, because when we have these conversations, I'd come in like, oh, man, this problem we got in this homework set was so cool. Yeah. It was so innovative, the way we solved the problem. He says, you just really, that just really turned you on. You know, some of us want to go run ships and stuff like that, but you just like solving these hard problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was good at it. Yeah. And uh, I think that carried over. And uh. then when I moved to California and had to teach myself about computers, how they operated, yeah. the memory and the buses and all that stuff, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, think, but this is the age of the PC, the age of mini computers, microcomputers. Right. I mean, right. the last 25 years of the 20th century was the oh, age yeah. of computing. Oh, for sure. Now it's age of software. But right. That software had to run on something. Yeah, that's right. That's so right. it's just the curiosity and uh, constantly evolve. And like at my home, I have about 100 IoT devices on my network at home, and I manage my water, I manage my electricity, I manage all my HVAC. I can control doors, I can turn lights on. I mean, I'm into right. all this sort of, I just keep reinventing and, and being curious about technology. Yeah, yeah. Just a, so one of the things in venture capital, you know, Checkpoint was entertaining a lot of VCs. And I remember going there and Gil Schwed, the CEO, we were having a great conversation, doing due diligence. And he said, so why, you know, why Checkpoint? I yeah. said, well, I'll tell you, Gil. I said, I bought one of your firewalls, uh -huh. and I installed it at Venrock. Uh -huh. And Gil uh -huh. said, you did what? <laughs> I said, yeah. I said, you know, I, I'm an engineer by yeah. training, and I was curious. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to know what this thing was all about and how it worked. They had invented this user interface. It was their yeah. claim to fame. He was just like, just, wow, you're my kind of guy. You know? <laughs> so uh, I think that's really helped, helped us get the deal. Right. Uh, right, because right, right. We, we, we could empathize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I became, you know, one of the good news, bad news, when I'm on somebody's board, I'm typically the product board guy. Right, right. Um, you need to do this, you need to, you know, paint it blue instead of green, that kind of stuff. <laughs> CEOs hate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. now what, um, let's, let me think, uh, think a little bit more about your, um, looking again, the looking back points, at, yeah. Uh, yeah, and so, the big decisions in your life, uh, tell us what, how you made those, and uh, what was, what decision, uh, mental yeah. model did you use? Well, the, the decision to get out of nuclear energy uh, was a slow one, uh, but because I'd used computers and this thing called Silicon Valley was starting to happen. The National Geographic, by the way, published a cover story about Apple and Intel, uh -huh. uh, which is also motivating me because I'm a Nat Geo reader. Right. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, this computer thing was happening, and I knew I could do computers. I wasn't sure what kind of job I could get, but I was sure the nuclear power thing was, was over. Mm. People were canceling plants. Mm -hmm. uh, the price of uranium had gone from 50 to 5 or some mm -hmm. crazy, mm -hmm. you know, 10x drop. Mm -hmm. And that's a futures game. Commodities are all about futures. Right. There was no future in uranium. Right. 
so, not then, but now it's come back. That's right? huge now. now it's yeah, huge, well, yeah. I could, we could go on for a whole other segment. Right. On that. You have a TED talk on that in case you're interested. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's back big. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that was clear to me, and you know, I, I've always been sort of the kind of person that sees the bigger picture, mm -hmm. and I was seeing the bigger picture, but I had to stay in nuclear energy to have a job and a paycheck, and mm -hmm. I was single and all this sort of stuff. So anyway, Sega's crash after that year was probably the best thing that happened to me. It was, it was a nadir of my life. I had to really reach into my soul and say, what am I good at? What can I get a job at? And I wound up at Sun Microsystems, which is just darn good luck. Right. Because Sun was the winner of the mini yep, microcomputer right. revolution. That's right. Yeah. And uh, I met an amazing amount of people. There's a Sun alumni base, uh, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, it just it just it changed my life. Mm -hmm. I saw what a success looked like. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. Scott McNeely was all about sales. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I just have a lot of stories that of the things I taught. Carol Bartz, my boss, she was really strategic, and she taught me a lot of things. So, paid attention. You know, Wayne Stark was here. He pulled me out and said, "You're going to be a leader here at Texas A&M." Right, right. So I had some lucky breaks that way. Yeah. People noticed me. But I, I anyway. So, and then computers happened, and then I met Steve Kraus and. Yeah, yeah. Um, he showed me this thing called venture capital, which was in its infancy in those days, and and I got lucky at Venrock, getting that job. I mean, there were uh, in 1987, coming out of Harvard Business School, there were about 30 people went into the venture capital business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The year I graduated, there were three. Mm -hmm. I was one of them, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I got that job. I'll tell you this. this I don't know how much time you yeah, have. Yeah, no. It, it's a great story. Yeah. So uh, many trips to New York from Boston. Sure. Met partners multiple times. They took me to dinner. They wanted to see if I, you know, buttered my bread properly and yeah, stuff. This yeah. white shoe firm. Uh -huh. And I remember the last day there, I'm with David Hathaway. He was my sponsor. And, and uh, one of the things I learned in sales at Sun was how to read things upside down. So on his desk, I'm over here, he's sitting here. <laughs> is this folder with my resume with lots of notes written and all kinds of stuff. And yeah. I'm sitting there having this conversation reading yeah. what they were written about me upside down. Uh -huh. He says, well, I, you know, we're going to make our decision on Monday. You know, you're one of the finalists, and uh -huh. uh, we'll give you a call Monday afternoon. Uh -huh. I said, thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Great to meet you. Hope, hope it works out. I hope I get the job. And we stood up, and I looked down, and I reached over, and I put my finger on my resume, and I said, why won't you hire this guy right here? Objections, right? Uh -huh. Sales, uh -huh. number one thing they teach is how to overcome objections. Right, I said, right. what is wrong with this candidate? It was yeah. me. It was, yeah, right. And he got a big smile on his face. He picked up the folder and he said, okay, you don't have a computer science degree uh -huh. or a double E degree. Uh -huh. I said, Dave, if I had a double E degree or a computer science degree, it would be in vacuum tubes. <laughs> Everything I know about computers, I've taught myself and it's current. Right. Oh, okay. okay. And, I mean, he went through this litany of things and I just knocked them off one by one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then... Mr. Chris, the CEO, uh, called me on Monday and uh, made the offer. He, his, he said, I have some good news and bad news. That's a Venrock thing. Right. It's everybody's thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, what's the good news, Mr. Chris? He said, well, we're going to offer you a job. Yeah. I said, oh, fantastic, because I was really hoping for it. And I said, well, what could the bad news be? He says, well, with a name like Rothrock and a firm like Venrock, we're going to ask you to change your name. <laughs> <laughs> he laughed, too, so it was, it was a joke. Right, right. Um, but the next call I had to make was to Steve Jobs because he had offered me a job really? at his firm next. Remember, wow. he started yeah, another computer Yeah, I remember that company. after Apple, yeah. So uh, I called Steve up and, and I... You, you spoke know, to him? And, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I interviewed the whole thing, the uh -huh. whole nine yards. And I remember Steve 
Steve is uh, very manic. Yeah, he had yeah. the ability. He was an intense fellow. But when I told him no, and then he started selling me on the job, I said, no, I'm going to be a venture capitalist. Uh -huh, uh -huh. He said, with what firm? And I said, with Venrock. Venrock had backed Steve at Apple. Right. The first money in the door was Venrock. Oh, wow. He knew Peter. He knew Tim. Yeah. He knew the partners I was going to Right, be. right. And he, person to person, ripped them apart and told really? me how bad it was going to be and what a mistake I was making oh, wow. and all this sort of stuff. Wow. Meredith said the blood just drained out of my face. Wow. Because he just, he just, he's mesmerizing. Yeah. He, he, he scared you, right? Oh, he did. Terrified. Right, just right. terrified. Well, was he right or no? He no, was, he was wrong. He was, not wrong. He was dead he's just, wrong. He, was, he's, he's just he like, wanted me to work for him. Right. And so He'll he was going to tear, right, yeah. tear up, tear up yeah. the competition. Yeah, yeah. But I remember hanging up the phone and Meredith said, I just had to sit down. I was like, oh my God, what have I done? You know? uh -huh, uh -huh. Here's Steve Jobs. Right. You know. That's right. That's and these right. guys, I don't even know. And it's in yeah. New York City. You don't even want to live and work in New York City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's right. it all worked out. That's right. That's, 25 years of Fenrock total? Yep. That's a lot. That's, so that's a... That's a lot. That's a lot, right? That's a lot. I mean, uh, what... You, did you, would you ever think of leaving at, at any point? Or what, how did you manage to stay that long? What was... Because a lot of people, you know, most careers, they don't... They last don't, that long. They don't last that Not long that. At, at one firm, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I thought about leaving. Uh, Maybe that's the loyalty, the Aggie Valley of loyalty. There's some yeah. of that going on, and Meredith would tell you exactly that. I'm very loyal to a fault. Um, yeah. But you know, um, the, the it was hard in the beginning yeah. to even get a deal done. I yeah. didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. There wasn't any of this mentorship stuff. You're on your own. Right. I mean, literally, you know, they come in with pile of paper business plans. Yeah. We didn't have email. Yeah. You know. Anyway. Uh, but I hung in there, and eventually I got this uh, deal called Spyglass. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I did, uh, Peter said, go out and meet all the VCs. Mm -hmm. Here's a list all you know. And I went and visited these guys. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm the, I'm the new kid in town. I'd love to do a deal with you. Think about us when you're doing one. Yeah. It was a very collegiate world. Um, but then I had some success, right? I, the Internet happened. So there was like, I mean, I, would, I, I just knocked them cover off right. the ball. I mean, I was right. ripping like crazy. Oh, that's right. So I, and then cyber became a really big deal, yeah. and I liked cyber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I did all these cyber deals. I did 15 cyber deals uh -huh, out uh -huh. of the 53 deals I did at Venrock, uh -huh. and uh, only one of them was a wipeout. Uh -huh. all the, three of them went public. Right. So, uh, you know, that's, that's a pretty big career yeah. event for me. Yeah. And um, then I became uh, chairman of the National Venture Capital Association. I was right. voted by the industry to be the chair of the industry. Right, right. That was like, Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, sort of loyalty and so forth. In fact, the executive director had a heart attack. I, I, I was made chairman in July. He had a heart attack in August. And I was kind of the CEO of the NVCA. Yeah, yeah. For a while, I hired his replacement. He survived, and he's still around, but yeah, yeah. he was not going to return. Right, right. So, I mean, there was just lots of things. You That's know, right. it's kind of like you got to do what you got to do. You make a commitment. You stick yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things I loved about the boards that I was on, you know, you, you, boards aren't accidental. They're actually engineered. Sure. But you pick people that you could depend on. Right, right. And make a commitment. Actually, the make Steve Jobs biography talks about that a lot. Really? How he, he, he selected his board very strategically. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you do. Yeah. And you, but you need people who will do what they say. Right. And there's so many people that don't. Right, right, right. So right. I guess, you know, yeah, the loyalty value, the yeah. excellence value. Yeah, yeah. Selfless service. If I, if I look at your life and I take out some of the time on the East Coast, I, I, I can break it into essentially Texas and California. Um, yeah. And even while you were in New York, you were really kind of living. You were. Doing, I was in California. You were in California all the time. Yeah. So. Or Boston. Yeah. yeah. So so let me ask you about uh, these two cultures uh, because as as we know as you know, 
there's been a huge amount of talent and capital flowing into Texas from California last year. And maybe, you know, you've been, you're, you're sort of a first mover in Silicon Valley. <laughs> you've lived in Silicon Valley for, for, for decades. Tell us your, your, uh, your, just your, your thoughts on this, uh, the cultural side of what's happening now uh, with both people moving to Texas and maybe in context of Texas A&M, if you have any, any ways to connect it somehow. <sighs> Uh, I could go a lot of places with that. Yeah. This isn't the first time VCs fell in love with Austin. Okay. Uh, it happened in the late 90s. Yeah. A lot of firms opened up offices down there. In fact, we, I did several deals in the Austin area with local VCs of big brand name firms. Yeah. But then 2000s happened and they all withdrew. Right. Um, you know, you need a few things uh, for, uh, to have a ripe innovation culture. You need need entrepreneurs, and entrepreneurs are typically grad students who have interesting ideas that they want to change the world. Mm -hmm. they, they, they don't cost much, mm -hmm. uh, but you've got this source of ideas, mm -hmm. right? You need an infrastructure, you have a banking and legal infrastructure that understands it. Austin's got a terrific, every major firm on the East and West Coast mm -hmm. have firms in Austin. Um, and you need capital. And venture, early stage venture capital is kind of local game. It's a man-to-man -man yeah. offense, defense sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so if you do Series A's, you kind of want to be local, uh, but if you do later stage, you can do that. In fact, Austin Ventures, which is one of the big, big behemoths in Austin, started out doing Series A. We did deals together, mm. but they've grown into a big PE firm now. They only do later stage things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, like I say, it comes and goes. Uh, I think Austin is great. It has all that infrastructure already in place. Uh, it has a good workforce. I mean, Apple has a huge engineering shop here right. down in Austin. General Motors has 3,000 engineers in Austin. I think that's the number. It's a big number. Yeah. Uh, so there's an ample talent pool. Yeah. And the other thing you need is management. And Austin's grown up nicely with Dell. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I think it's a TRW. There's a uh, aerospace has got mm -hmm. a big. So you got to have a management pool, right? Mm -hmm. it's, and with the low cost of living, it's easy to re recruit people into. California, the Silicon Valley's gotten very crowded. So, you know, people joke about the taxes, but, you know, my water is very clean and my air is very clean. Mm -hmm. And my roads are pretty good. Mm -hmm. So, I actually, I mean, I don't mind paying for it because yeah. it's really a qual high quality right. of life. Yeah. But it's crowded. And, you know, a lot of these, like Venrock, we only had an office on Sand Hill Road for a short time uh -huh. because you're in the building with 10 other VC firms. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want people, I wanted. You, know. you don't want the competition. I didn't want the competition. Right. So we moved down, actually, out in Palo Alto. And it's funny, it was sort of the first IQ test. Huh. If the entrepreneur called us from an, our old address on Sand Hill Road, we said, eh, you're out. <laughs> you, you didn't do your due diligence on us. Yeah. But um, look, I think it's, um, it's a big world. It's plenty of room for everybody. Yeah. And you need that university basis. So yeah. Texas A&M is kind of a long way from a lot of places. Right. It's not easy to get to here. Right. Right. Um, and you got to really kind of want it and love it. And there's, you know, there's a bunch of Aggie networks now that are doing investing and stuff like that. Uh, Graham Weston, I think. Uh, yeah. Or is it Graham? Yeah, Graham. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's he's very he's a huge success with Rackspace. Right. That's right. This is what you need, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. You know, sadly, uh, when Compact happened and Houston had a big innovation era. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but nothing nothing ever came of it. It sort right. of faded and went away. I yeah. don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. So well, there's, yeah. There's still a lot of change happening in Houston, but but you're right. It, it that that stayed that chapter that from that yeah. time is over. It yeah. Ne it never it closed and never reopened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a, you know, one of the things about doing venture capital from afar, we used to say, you never want to do a deal if you're the only people in the deal. 
yeah. particularly you need local people because they know these people. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they have better due diligence than you'll ever know. Right. So right. if the local guys aren't going to back a deal, right, right. Why should you? Yeah. What you know, you're you're if you look around the room and right. Yeah. You're the, well, I, you're I, the I'm. Mullet. I guess on this Texas California thing, I'm a little biased, of course, but um, but you know I, I grew up on the coasts and yeah. I went to Stanford also, so yeah. so I, I knew the the culture of the coasts was very different from yeah. when I stepped onto the A and M campus, yeah. and I, you know, it was a I remember I still remember the, the first day it was 2015, and I met some of the students here, and I felt like I was seeing a different face of America, yeah. and I felt like it was actually a better face, and that it it was a culture that. It's, it's important for us to protect that culture, and I didn't want to see it go away. And that's why I came here, and I decided I want to stay in Texas. I, I, remember, um, I remember this. Yeah, and, um, and you know, Texas is changing a lot, as you know. It's yes. a lot of, lot of innovation and technology. Yes. But to me, the real asset is the culture. The it's the people. Cu the yeah. people, the culture, yeah. the values. Uh, how, how is that, how have the Aggie values, what does that yeah. mean for you? You know, I, the, a big culture thing about Texas, and maybe it's just the where I grew up and how I grew up, but... It's very much a can-do, problem-solving yeah. mentality. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is what engineers do, but but more than engineers, we just we solve problems. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, Texas was a frontier, and you know, the Alamo and all that right, sort of right. spirit. But it's um, you don't get a lot of that in some other places. This right. sort of we can do it ourselves right. and, and do it. That can also be very off-putting. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But I certainly grew up with that, and and um, I think it's. it's just I'm smart enough to have pattern recognition, but I think also I got stuff done. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think I think Aggies really know how to get stuff That's done. Right. That's and right. uh, I mean Kathy Banks, I've already had a couple of conversations with her. I mean she, she's entering her new job as president, right? Very much like an engineer. I'm, you know. Right. <laughs> Bring me a problem, I'll bring you a solution, right, and right. that's wonderful. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and that's that's the Texas mentality that I grew up with. Yeah. Uh, you know, my dad was a machinist, and I was his tool boy, and I carried yeah. tools around the house, and we fixed everything ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just it's just it's that can-do spirit, and yeah. the Aggie values. I mean, uh, they matter. And uh, you know, when President Gates was here, Robert Gates was here, he really embraced that big. Yeah. And I was on the foundation board at that time, so I got to spend some time with him. He took that away, and of course, everywhere he went, there were Aggies, and he would always right. find the Aggies, whether right. it was in Iraq or That's right. wherever he was, Japan or Singapore, wherever it was. Yeah, yeah. But those those values became front and center, yeah. sort of. I think he, more than many people, took those values out and about yeah. and displayed them and talked about them, yeah, yeah. and that helped a lot. Yeah. I, You know... I, Having participated in the Silicon Valley, watching the software world happen, watching the hardware world happen, yeah. A&M, UT, they, we missed it. By the way, MIT missed it too. Right. Right. Um, Stanford didn't so much, right. as you right. well know. Yeah, exactly right. And just look at the results. Yeah, so yeah. so if, if A&M was more involved in the world and less insular, right. maybe it would be a different result. So That's as I've right. lived in California, every time there's a new president, I invite him out. We have a big Aggie Right, you know, wind dig at my house. Right, right. Jesse was there last time. Yeah, Jesse yeah. was there. Um, you just, just got to get these people out. It's, it's a big world. This is yeah. one of Wayne Stark's. You know, he says you're going to go to grad school and you're going to go somewhere not in Texas. Yeah. His goal was to That's get right. us above the Red River. He says That's get right. above the Red River. That's right. That's, That's right. what he's. And, and you, your career, at some level, is unusual. Most Aggies, maybe many, don't leave Texas ever. No. Right. The, right. And that, they stay right here. They stay right here in their comfort zone. Yeah. Right. So 100 miles yeah. of here. Yeah. 
What, what, I guess my last question for you is what, uh, if you had to give some advice to the students, the next students, how should, as they make their big decisions in yeah. their lives, what should they think about? What would you encourage them to do? What advice would you give to them? Oh, man, this is, this is a stark, uh, <laughs> stark pitch. Uh, one, you have to be curious. You've got to be hungry and always learning. School doesn't stop when you graduate. Uh, you, you just, curiosity is everything, and people will recognize that. Yeah. One. Two, um, and this is, I'll just say it anyway, keep your skirts clean. Uh, pick the people you're going to be with. Pick quality people to be with. There's plenty of times, and we have all made mistakes, and I've got plenty of those stories in my life, but at the end of the day, I reached high and tried to hang with the highest quality people I could find. Yeah. This is something Wayne really pushed. And then he said, when you're getting those first jobs, get close to the decision makers. Yeah. You know, you can have a job in the company, but you need to somehow get yourself invited to those meetings where they're going to make a decision. Watch how, watch yeah. the people, yeah. see the analysis. Yeah. Uh, be part of the conversation if you possibly can be. And to work your, your resume that way to, so that you get that. Yeah. Um, you know, in school, you get a lot of awards and all that, and you're always getting... But in the real world, nobody's going to be your advocate except yourself. Right. And that was the other thing. So you've got to advocate yourself. You can't be a, a BSer. Yeah. But, you know, you've got to say you're going to do something, do it, and then remind people that you did it. Right. And then life turns out pretty well. Uh, but th those are kind of his, his big takeaways. And, and I've really lived that. Last thing, you know... When I went to Harvard Business School, he said, now, Ray, he says, they're going to give you a Facebook, and it's going to be a paper book, about 200 pages, uh -huh. and it'll have a picture and a resume of everybody. Yeah. He says, take that book with you everywhere, and when you meet a new person in school, take notes, yeah. write about them. Yeah. And this is the days of paper Facebooks. Yeah. Yeah. But I did. And he says, and I said, why, Wayne? He said, because those people are going to wind up being CEOs, ambassadors, presidents, sure. whatever. You sure. just, but you don't know who it is. Right, right. So treat everybody the same, yeah. and you know, and do that. And he was so right, mm -hmm. uh, and because one of my classmates at Harvard Business School um, uh, became the ambassador for the United States to France, Charlie Rifkin. Uh -huh. And when I took my dad to Normandy. I called Charlie. Charlie was ambassador, and Charlie received us. My dad's on his three-wheeler wearing his World War II yeah. cap. And the Marines come down and escort us up. I oh, mean, wow. it is like, wow. whoa. Wow. And we're in there, and Charlie, he's just pouring his heart out, and my dad, and they're sitting there kind of like talking yeah. and all that stuff. And I'm just kidding the candy store, and all of a sudden, a lady knocks on the door. You used to this. Knocks on the door 30 minutes, and, you know, and Mr. Ambassador, your next appointment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Charlie, he keeps talking. 15 minutes pass, and she knocks on the door and says, Mr. Ambassador, the team from NATO is here. You have to end this meeting. <laughs> so, um, you know, things, you're not allowed to have any electronics, so Charlie pulls out his, his uh, Blackberry and takes a picture for us uh -huh, and then emails uh -huh. it to me. But anyway, we walk out of the door, and who's standing there but Admiral Stravitis? Wow. And his all in their dress whites. Yeah. Four stars, the whole nine yards. Wow. They all salute my father and mm -hmm. shake his hand. Mm hmm you just never know. Yeah, you never know. You never know. Well, Ray, thank you very much. I want to say thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Uh, also, for all your service to A&M over the years. Uh, we appreciate all you've done for our campus and for our students. I forgot to turn that around. Sorry. <laughs> so thank you for tuning in, and uh, hopefully see you on the next time. Good luck. Giggle Maggie's. Giggle.